here at the Product and Packaging Powerhouse, our key mission is really to help with unveiling the realities of product developments, packaging strategies, and business tactics, empowering you, productpreneurs, and brands to advance, ascend, and accelerate your products into your marketplace. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode right here on the Product and Packaging Powerhouse. And guys, I have the honor and privilege to have one of my packaging professionals, also friends in this space, Brad Levin, who is the Senior Sales and Sustainability Manager at Millennium Group. And so, Brad, welcome to the show. Thank you. And it's my privilege to be here with you. Thank you. And I'm excited about our conversation. I think you definitely will add a different perspective you know, of your role and of your insight in the packaging industry. So I want to go ahead and get right into it. And so as we're getting started for today's episode, share a little bit about yourself, Brad, and how you stumbled into the packaging industry. Well, uh, I kind of fell into it by need, I guess, a bunch of years ago. Um, Okay. Started uh, with a startup company right when the uh, crisis of 08 hit, and I was recruiting in the area that got blamed for the meltdown. Uh, my wife is actually also a recruiter, uh, but she does HR recruiting. So that's cost center that dried up. She was pregnant with my second kid and we had just bought a house in Long Island. So a little bit of panic had set in and uh, my father-in-law actually has a packaging company. So I ended up going to work for him and that's how I kind of fell into this racket. That's so cool. And so number one, I have to ask, you know, fact that your father-in-law works at the packaging industry and you've transitioned into that space. How has the family dynamics been, you know, with you navigating into the packaging space in the company? I don't think we have enough time or a big enough couch for that, but it was really good. It was great that he was, uh, you know, helpful to take me in. Um, You know, he, his family had been steeped in the packaging industry for a generation or so. Um, He actually went to work for his father-in-law's company, uh, which was a packaging company. So um, it was great. Uh, I would say that, a lot of the learning I had to do past the technical stuff was mm-hmm. all on me. So learning how to sell it, learning how to, um, and that was the hard part for me. It was kind of you know shifting gears and a pure salesperson, I guess. Mm, okay. And I can see some of the transferable skills, you know, with you serving as an executive recruiter, you know, those transferable skills of how you interact with people, you're really selling the person to the organizations and the companies, you know, so I think there is still some transferable skills that you had, you know, that probably was advantageous for you. But to the point of learning about the different substrates and what is packaging and the different levels of packaging and what you think about in the manufacturing, I'm sure that was a huge learning curve for you. Yeah, I mean, you know what, to some extent, sales is sales, right? It's just a a little bit different of of a pitch or what have you. But when you're selling an actual product, there's that technical aspect of it also. And being able to come across as... Uh, intelligent or knowledgeable about that product is part of the battle. You know, the other part of it Mm -hmm. is just being a good salesperson or or a good person that it's easy to talk to and can start conversation. As everybody knows, there's two sides of that, that sales coin, but yeah, it was a little struggle to, uh, to pick up those, the the technical skills in the beginning. Mm. And so just curious, like, how did you really immerse yourself into learning all the technical details? Because I'm sure you had an accelerated track, you know, considering working with your father-in-law, navigating to a new industry, incorporating the art of sales, you know, and then the technical piece of it. It was um, a little sink or swim. And uh, 
you know, I spent some time, a good amount of time in uh, plants, learning from people inside plants, uh, manufacturing mm. uh, packaging plants. I actually left him after a couple years for two years to go work for an actual manufacturing company, um, always with the intention of coming back. But I knew this family growing up and uh, the company has been clean packaging and they did a great job of kind of educating me, uh, mostly on the CPG side. So mm. uh, retail okay. packaging. Oh, that's cool. And so you were able to see it from both sides of the, yeah. like you said, it's still incorporating the art of sales. And so a lot of children, and I should say children, because we're beyond the child age, right? Um, but a lot of us remember the 08 crisis and the recession, you know, that was really impactful. And I feel like we're seeing that with some of our professionals and colleagues present day at the time of this interview. So it's deja vu, you know, and it's unfortunate that it's this case. You know, but for anybody that is, you know, going through, you know, looking for their next transition, looking of looking of how to really overcome within the recession and everything that's inflated, what piece of advice would you give them? Choose a different industry. <laughs> no, um, no yeah. listen, I mean, the industry is pretty oversaturated as is, but there's always new companies coming out. There's new products. There's new things. There's people are always going to need packaging. You know, people mm -hmm. don't need luxury goods. People always need packaging. There's always products that are going out there. Yeah. Um, and that's just the CBG space. I mean, there's the industrial mm -hmm. side also. So I wouldn't get too discouraged. It's a hard industry to get your foot into just because it's, it's such a vast thing and finding that lane that you want to be in. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's something that I didn't do very well in the beginning that uh, just kind of taking anything in that I could. At the end of the day, I think that helped me to some degree because now I have relationships with a, with different manufacturers of different products. So I have, you know, everything from folding cartons to clear packaging to brown box and, and what have you. So it makes me a little bit more versatile. That being said, when you're coming in, I think it's a good idea to, to kind of pick a lane and, and become a, a real expert in that. And that's how you you can really excel in the business. Mm, I think that's gold. And one thing that um, I spoke with somebody else on the podcast, you know, recently, Leonard Grape, we were talking about how to become the generalist versus specialist, you know, within the space. So to your point, you know, when you have a wide or vast range of expertise, you know, within the packaging space, you're becoming the generalist because you can do a little bit of everything. But the vertical approach is where you become the specialist. So what is that one lane to your point that you can really focus on and dominate? And so you being within sales for respectfully CPG brands, you know, is gold. That's your lane. You know, I'm in the CPG space for health, beauty, and wellness. So I do not touch pharma. That's a whole nother yeah, piece. I, I, I do agree. industrial, yep. you know, but I know as TLC, the song, I stick to the rivers and lakes I'm used to, you know, yeah. so it, I think that's valid. It's an interesting dichotomy, though, and I, I struggle with this sometimes because there's people that just do, let's say, cosmetic packaging and mm -hmm. companies like, oh, that's Mike. He just does cosmetic packaging and mm -hmm. he's always top of mind. Right. So, yeah. I mean, that's great, but you are kind of limited to that area. You know, my business just organically grow that way. So I never, and at the time I didn't know any better. I was just like, oh, you need a box? Yeah, let's go. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, you know, so there is something to be said for that being a specialist. I still go back and forth of what's better and what's not, but yeah, 
there's two different ways of, of approaching it, I guess. That's true. You know, I think it's really to each its own yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. To each its own and how you're really serving the market and ultimately what's the transformation or the outcome that we're ultimately trying to desire, you know, get for our desired and our actual clients. So I think that's what we really look at being in the space. You know, what's in it for them? How can we produce the packaging that you know, is helping with the unboxing experience that's really showcasing the brand on retail shelf. How are we really going to display the product D to C or e-com? So I think it's a, so many different layers to it, yeah. you know, that brands don't really know about. But us on this side of the table and the development side, we definitely have more insight to it. For Agreed. sure. Agreed. So I have to ask you, you know, considering your background as an executive recruiter, you transition into packaging and you have over 15 years of experience, you know, with primary, secondary, display packaging across various substrates. What aspects do you find challenging and rewarding? To me, I feel the most challenging part of the business is getting into new companies. I think, as I mentioned, I think the industry is very oversaturated. And, mm -hmm. you know, what sets me apart from the 50 other people that are knocking on that door, you know, so... And the only way that you can demonstrate that is by actually walking through that door, right? So yeah. I think to me, that's the hardest thing. I talk about this all the time, you know, and it, I have discussions with a lot of people about it. And, you know, um, I think I mentioned this to you before when we spoke, but I had uh, one of my best friends from college was a kind of a senior packaging guy at um, Benefit and got me in there and a large customer of mine for years. And during that time, he left and went to... L'Oreal. And, um, you know, we've joked about it now, but he said to me, he was like, Brad, I can't even get you a meeting here. And it was one of those kind of aha moments to me where I realized that maybe I need to start spending my energy in other places or more productive places. So yeah. I think that's kind of how I, I started focusing really on the um, indie brand and, and startup world because, uh, mm -hmm. You know, the other side of it is a company like L'Oreal, and again, I'll take them seven days a week and twice on Sunday, but, you know, all the design work's already done. So it's really just pricing and and relationship and being in the industry for as long as I have at this point, I do have a lot of capabilities that can help those smaller uh, either startups or indie brands, whether it's design or recommendations or, you know, what have you. So I feel that's where my value add actually comes in. Okay. And to be honest, you know, the L'Oreal's, Bessie Lauders, all of those, they're great, right? And they definitely have their market. But to your point, it's sometimes it's hard to get in the door, you know, because they already have set protocols, set design. You know, they're looking at who can come in and help increase their bottom line. Yeah. Ultimately. Yep. And that's just the reality of it. However, we're starting to see really a paradigm shift where we're seeing more indie brands come to market. And people are like, how can I really expand outside of my, just my nine to five and really become a household name? And we're seeing more indie brands get placement in retail. That's alongside of Estee Lauder and Benefit, et cetera. So, you know, with you working with them and kind of seeing this paradigm shift, like how do you really help these brands, indie brands respectfully, start properly positioning themselves through packaging to start getting ready for retail? That's a really good question. And I, you know, I think um, from the time I started in the business to now, I think there's been a big shift, especially with the DTC market and, you know, online sales. And mm -hmm. it's a much cheaper way of coming to market, you know, and a much yeah. more profitable way of going to market, really. So I encourage that more than anything. And as your brand grows, you'll get the opportunity when you're there to get into retail. You can do that. 
but I think that there's a rush to do that. And I don't agree with that. Mm -hmm. um, I think with the amount of social media that's out there and the amount of ways that you can get your brand out there for people to see, it's so much more cost effective to be direct to consumer, I think. And for that, you know, there's so many ways of doing this. And, you know, we've always talked about the unboxing experience, right? And mm -hmm. I bring it, I've always brought it back to FabFitFun and yeah. the first brand that I thought that really nailed that. Nailed and it. Yeah. And the fact that I've never been a customer and all these years later, I'm still talking about them tells mm -hmm. you that, you know, it was a memorable package. That experience alone, that unboxing can buy loyalty, you know, Absolutely. and the other side of it is you don't have your product next to 15 other products on the shelf. Right. So, you know, there's not a lot of comparison. They come across, you want to try it, they buy it online. Mm -hmm. um, it presents other challenges of, of getting word of mouth out there and getting, you know, but that said, I, in my opinion, I think it's the, uh, the best way for startups and young companies to, to, to go to market. Absolutely. And I feel like we have a, with TikTok now in place, you know, we see some packaging professionals who are on TikTok. So shout out to Corey and Adam. I'm not on TikTok. I was, I just cannot do another platform for me. But with that, you're starting to see so many brands that are being highlighted on TikTok for that example, you know, for a quick 30 second clip of the unboxing experience with influencers, you know, brands and really showcasing how to use this, how this product is different and what's my unique value proposition of the product. So to your point, direct to consumers where it's at. And I think thanks to COVID, you know, in the pandemic, it really accelerated exactly. that time frame, you I know, to you, really be intentional. I'm like, an, I'm an old dog trying to learn new tricks with the, with the uh, social media stuff. It's, uh, I've spent a lot of time this week trying to figure, I mean, I know how to do it, but trying to figure out how to take advantage of it. And, and mm -hmm. it's definitely, I mean, it's definitely the way to go. And that, that there's a big buying market out there in that, in that space. Ooh. So absolutely. And now like, with Fafit Fun, for example, like they're featuring indie brands in their products and BoxyCharm is incorporating the same thing, you know, and I remember when I was in corporate, we would put products, you know, in Fafit Fun, Birchbox programs, BoxyCharm, et cetera. And I remember, you know, during a specific time in corporate, we would actually have to make sure that we were, they were focusing on having indie brands be featured within their boxes as well. But now we're starting to have other independent, you know, um, subscription box programs come up to feature these other independent brands to showcase them because everybody's looking for the next thing and really trying to think outside the box because to that point, everybody may not be ready for retail. Yeah. And that's, it is what it is. You know, I do feel that some brands are trying to accelerate to go to retail, which, you know, to each its own. However, I think they don't really understand the cash flow and the operations That's behind right. going to retail. Yeah. Yes, it's a lot of costs. And I'm like, can you wait 90 days, get your money back? Right. Can you float your operations? Because packaging, you know, for primary, for secondary, for tertiary, for pallets, because you pay for pallets to get the products to the warehouse, great. You Like, can you support it? And they're like, I didn't think I had to do all that. Yeah, but who's doing it? Right, they think they just ship it to the store and it's boom, it's out and there. that's it. <laughs> like, no, I mean, but if you have your smaller scale boutiques, yeah, you may be able to, you know, ship a master shipper, you know, with X number of units directly yeah. to them because it's not a big box, yeah. you know? So I tell my clients, if you want to go into retail, start with the boutiques, start seeing yeah, what that's like. 
you know, start visiting the stores, you know, to see how your product is displayed. How are the sales going? What is the traction? How are you forecasting your products? Because your packaging suppliers like Brad is asking you, okay, replenishment, what are the quantities? You know, uh, what's the replenishment strategy? What's the forecast for the upcoming year in the next two to three years? You know, is it custom products that you're creating? So it starts going down the rabbit hole of so many details and nuances that we definitely have to consider for sure. So, um, so Brad, let me ask you this. So since you work, like your sweet spot is working with the indie brands, you know, how are you really offering them sustainable packaging, you know, working alongside of them, you know, for them going direct to consumer? So this is the billion dollar question for, for I think all of us in the sustainability world is, you know, we're still at a point where the cost is very prohibitive to startup brands and and younger brands. Mm -hmm. I've always said, you know, whatever step you're taking is better than not taking a step at all. So it doesn't have to always be, you know, a hundred percent sustainable packaging or, um, you know, even in your operations, you know, there's just Mm -hmm. certain steps you can take and then there's stuff that you will do down the road as you grow. Um, Mm -hmm. But sustainability cannot come at the cost of you not being able to operate your company. Otherwise, you know, what are you doing? Exactly. I get that all the time. And I've worked with people where, you know, they just can't afford it right now. So, you know, maybe it's doing one product that you have with sustainable packaging, or maybe it's just doing one other thing in your operation. It doesn't always have to be about the packaging. You know, it could be going solar, just your operation being more efficient. There's a lot of different areas in this. And I, it's one of these things with sustainability that I struggle with too, because there's just so many aspects of it. And there's so many yeah. different roads to go down with it. And you think you're doing one thing right over here and you're doing three things wrong over here, right? So it's virtually impossible to actually reach that ultimate sustainability goal as a company, I think. I think baby steps is the way to go. And the more your company grows, the bigger the steps become. And that's how you make a difference. I think that's valid. Now, you know what? I, I appreciate you for being candid about it too, because to that point, I'm right there with you. Number one, I tell my clients, you know, they tell me what their budget is. I was like, you're not ready for sustainable sustainable packaging. And I'm saying that in quotes, because what does that mean? You know, sustainability, you know, for packaging means something different to everybody. There's no universal way to look at sustainability, right? So when I ask them that, they're like, oh, I just don't want to use plastic. Well, okay, let's think about this. You know, you're creating a shampoo. You can't put that in glass. Like I had a brand tell me you want to put shampoo (laughs) in glass. Like, no, that's not functional. You're now about to cause a hazard condition, a hazard situation inside the shower, shampooing your hair with glass. Like, that doesn't make sense. No. You know, so we still need to think about it from a functionality standpoint. She was like, but I want sustainable packaging. Yeah, but maybe you need to focus on sustainable operations. Yeah. You know, maybe look at, you know, the type of sustainable products that you're using for creating the shampoo. Let's start there. Then, you know, as the brand is expanding and the portfolio is expanding, if you have a hair oil, Depend upon how you use it, maybe that could be in glass and maybe an amber color glass. It could be stock, you know, to help with preventing the oil from oxidizing, you know. So let's look at it more holistically and not just on one isolated situation. Or try to create a refillable product, you know. That's it. That's it. Just less packaging, you know. 
Exactly. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we've, we've spoken about this and I, I just don't, there's just no silver bullet here. You know, there's not, not. Um, and you know, the other thing is regardless of what you use and what you make in terms of packaging, it doesn't matter at all if the end user isn't doing the right thing with it. And that part, you have to keep it simple for the consumer because life's too busy. I mean, I get it. I got two kids. I got a wife. We're all over the place. You know, I don't mm -hmm. have time to put stuff in three different baskets. Three different things. Yeah. You know, so you yeah. have to make it not that we don't, but you understand what I'm saying. Um, mm -hmm. You got to make it simple for the consumer. And maybe that means material or whatever that is, just so you don't have to separate it. But yeah, it, I think it's all with good intention, these products that are coming out. But if the mm -hmm. consumer either doesn't or can't do what they're supposed to do with it, what does it mean? What's exactly. And that's such a valid point. And people cringe when I say this. And you're saying what I say too, because how you all recycle in the state of New York and how we recycle here in the state of Georgia, two totally different ways of looking at it. You know, to your point, you all have recycling bins. You may have to sort amongst three different bins. You're like, but I don't have the time. Whereas here in Georgia, just Metro Atlanta, we barely have recycling bins. You have to go and scour at different venues and stadiums to just find a recycling bin to recycle the aluminum cup that's now at the stadiums. And it's like, yeah, that's great for refills. Takes I get to pay one flat price for a Coke at the stadiums, you know, and refill it unlimited times. However, if I can't find a recyclable bin at the stadium for the aluminum can, then what's the point? If you go to the recycling centers here in Metro Atlanta, you can go on the line and they're like, why are you not recycling this? Because we don't have enough workforce to see here and right. take the label off of the bottles. We don't have time to see here and take the caps off. I know um, Corey Connors mentioned about AI being incorporated within the MRFs, but where is it going to start at? I think it'll start in Washington, Oregon, California, maybe New York, but here in Georgia? in the Right. Right. No, you're 100 percent right. I mean, up here, they uh, they started doing this. I noticed recently is they'll take the boxes, the paper boxes out of the recycling bins, leave them mm -hmm. on the curb, and then they'll come back and pick them up later, which I thought was a really good thing. I mean, I hate having them having to do extra work, but it makes it easy for the consumer. They just can put it in the bin and the recycling mm -hmm. company will take care of it. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah. things like that help the process move. Absolutely. And if we don't have the right infrastructure universally, you know, here in the U.S., then how are we really encouraging to utilize sustainable packaging if the infrastructure is not in place? Exactly. That's really my my biggest thing. Like, I'm all for it. It has to make sense at the end of the day, dollars and cents, right? Come down to dollar dollar bills. However, if we don't have the infrastructure, then what are we doing? You know, and I think packaging, EPR, extended producer responsibility in this infancy stage may be good, but we have the right infrastructure. You know, that goes back to my yeah. question. And I think for me, having like the sustainable operations, you know, to then incorporate the packaging, if we have the right infrastructure and it's, you know, not becoming a taboo topic and well, how you do it in New York and how you do it in Georgia, yeah, sustainable, but we're going to do two different processes. Right. It negates, you know, the real thing of what we're all trying to produce and go for. So I think there's a lot bigger picture than just the packaging part. Like, mm -hmm. like I always said, like there's plants that I know that have 
gone, I said this before, solar power. And it ended mm -hmm. up saving them like 30% in electricity bills. So you're being mm -hmm. more sustainable and you're saving money. That's a win-win. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So like I said, it's just a very complicated subject and it's, I'm all in. I love the conversation about it. I yeah. don't think there's a silver bullet and, you know, we just have to encourage people to take steps. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what I'm hearing from you just in our conversation thus far is really with sustainability to look at it just beyond the packaging. You know, let's look at how, you know, operations, the manufacturing, the processes, internal processes, because guys, some companies need better internal processes for it to be sustainable, you know, um, to then start cascading out to the packaging and such. So um, would you add anything else of you know, I will say this, there's a, some new products that are out there that are really cool from uh, sustainable packaging. There's a product called like curved corrugated, and I don't have the mm -hmm. science behind it, but it's literally curves like around a bottle. So it's it's a very sustainable material, and it's also reducing the material because you're losing all the corners. Mm -hmm. So it's not, obviously it's not for every pack, uh, product, but it, mm -hmm. it's a really interesting type thing. There are these new things that are coming out that I think are cool and yeah. interesting. You know, will they make it into mass market? I don't know. But um, yeah. on one hand, it's frustrating. On the other hand, it's kind of fun because I, I like to see, and I like to be a voice of you know trying to help, especially companies that can afford it. Well, listen, we could do something like this that's going to be better material, mm -hmm. better design, you know, et cetera. So mm -hmm. that's fun for me. I, I I'll have those conversations all day long. Yeah, of course, and I think you know. We're still in the infancy stage here in the U.S. We're not as advanced as like international. Yeah. Exactly. So I think, you know, we're taking baby steps, right? And right now we're in the crawl phase. We're not walking, we're crawling, you know, but eventually we'll be able to start walking, then running with it, you know, to start catching up with other international markets, you know, from a sustainability standpoint and also sustainable packaging. But here in the U.S., still a little infancy stage. I, I would agree stage with that. Right now. I would agree. <laughs> so, but I think it's still something really exciting, you know, that we're seeing come to market and brands starting to think about it because the consumers, you know, and consumers are now information hungry. They're like, well, I'm reading everything and I want to know what all you're doing. And is this wasteful? You know, so I think it is starting to have the good conversations for sure. Good progress, so. Absolutely. And so since we're talking about sustainability, I know you are a chairman at your alumni university, Lehigh University. So share with us a little bit about what made you become engaged as the chairman, you know, with the Sustainability Alliance. So first of all, Lehigh was probably one of the best things I've done in my life. I love, love school. Okay. My best friends are still from there. Um, oh, nice. And uh, I noticed over the years that I had kind of fallen off. Um, you know, not been very engaged in alumni stuff. And as I kind of fell into the sustainability world, I reached out to the school. I did some research at the schools, what kind of stuff was going on there. And there was a committee that uh, the Lehigh Alumni Sustainability Alliance. And it was really just kind of fortunate timing. I'm certainly, okay. I'm sure there was more <laughs> qualified people for this than me, but um, you're supposed to be right there. Right. So you're just as qualified. Okay. I, I, I took the position and it's really just been, uh, it's been one of the best things I've done over the last few years. Um, you know, first of all, it got me very much reconnected with the school with, that I love and a large part of it's really talking to students and, you know, talking about different careers and different ways of getting into sustainability and, 
you know, giving mm -hmm. some guidance and, you know, we do some, we put on a few events during the year where it's alumni and, and students. And, you know, one of the mm -hmm. ones I went to, I think it was last year was in Brooklyn, there was a, a rooftop farm uh, in the Naval Yard and one of the buildings in the Naval Yard. And it was like an acre and a half and they grew all these things up there. And it was, I mean, living in New York for all these years, the last thing I would ever think would be when I walked up to this place, I know the Navy, the Naval yeah. Yard well, it's not the prettiest place in the world. And there's just like this green garden up there. And it was just, it was remarkable that this is happening in the city. Um, mm -hmm. So it, for me, it's been more that I've gotten probably than what I've given because it's really just uh, educated me so much more on uh, open my eyes to all the different ways that we can do this. Um, I think one of the first things I did there was a panel discussion and uh, there was local law 97 was just kind of passed in, in New York. And there was um, somebody that was working on that and he worked in the Empire State Building. That was a big thing of bringing that up to code. And he started talking about it and the enormity of this of this project to me really struck home. I mean, this is an 80 year old building. It's probably one of the most unsustainable buildings in the world. And in order to get this done, not only do you have to come up with solutions, but you have to get buy-in from everybody that's in there because they're all individual companies and you can't really disrupt their business. Mm -hmm. So events like that to me are just, uh, are amazing. I walk away with, you know, just uh, in awe of what people are doing in it. And, you know, I like to think I'm doing my share, but it's nothing compared to what some of these people are doing. And it's a testament to Lehigh and it's a testament to the desire of people to make the world better. Mm, I love that. And we have to cultivate the future leaders in a future generation, you know, to really expose them to other areas, you know, in other industries, because sometimes, and I'll just say for myself, when I was in school, I went to get my undergrad in chemistry, I was laser focused on just going to pharmacy school, like, that's it. <laughs> and worked in the pharmacy. I shared this on my detour to destination episode journey where I worked in the pharmacy and a guy came in that resembled my grandfather. And I had to tell him a four-figure dollar amount for medication. And it was needing to be refilled every single month. Uh. Like that was the breaking point for me to be like, you know what? I can't, I can't do this. Cause nope. he, this could be somebody telling my grandfather this at that time. You know, to now coming into packaging. But to that point, I wish I would have been more aware of the packaging industry, especially with my chemistry background. Polymer chemistry, that's all day packaging, yeah. you know, to understanding like the engineering portions of it, to the physics, to the math, like all of that is is packaging, you know, packagerial science. You know, so if somebody would have shared that with me at much earlier, probably. 15 plus years now from college years, you know, where would I be? But I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Right just now. like you, yep. you know, transitioning into but everybody, space. everybody feels that way. Like if you talk to anybody, nobody understands what goes into like, they just think a box is a box and to some degree it is, but you know, there's a lot of nuances to it, I guess. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. So speaking of future generations, like what's one piece of advice you would give to our future generation leaders you know, of how to really start thinking about sustainability and really expanding outside of just their laser focused industries. Yeah, I think that I think you hit it right on the head. I mean, I think it's trying to take a more holistic approach to it. You know, like every little thing you do is better than not doing something. So in almost any industry, there's ways to tackle this, whether it's through government, whether, you know, it's through education, whether it's through energy, whether it's through 
packaging, sustainable packaging. I think going forward, you're going to see this grow in, in pretty much any industry that's out there. Um, so just because, you know, it's not something that you can touch or feel doesn't mean you're not making making a positive effect on the problem. So, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't have to be a box where, oh, yeah, look what I got. There's a million people that are doing, you know, a lot more important stuff than what I'm doing or what any of us in the packaging industry are doing, you know, so absolutely, absolutely. Um, I was talking the other day with somebody, um, there's a woman from Lehigh who works at NASDAQ and she helps companies get listed um, on NASDAQ as they have to meet mm-hmm. certain sustainability goals. And she works mm-hmm. with them to get that done. So that allows these companies now to become public companies or, or grow on a stock exchange and have a, a larger impact in what they're doing. So, mm-hmm. you know, something like that, you know, it's it's really kind of endless, you know. Yeah, I think that's gold. And because sustainability is, like you said, much larger than just packaging. It's something that's in all of our lives from solar power to operations even like Georgia World Congress Center, they have tours to showcase how they've become more sustainable, you know, in the renovations of certain wings, you know. So then hearing like the lady that works at NASDAQ, you know, your colleague that works at NASDAQ, that's helping brands get listed or companies, excuse me, get listed based upon their sustainability initiatives. I think to your point, sustainability is much broader than we realize. Sometimes we just kind of put a little bit more, emphasis on the packaging because of the consumer portion and we buy products every day partially because you can see it it's something you can that's it okay yeah partly because again that's our world that's what we it is our world (laughs) (laughs) exactly like we're look we want y'all to be able to touch it because that's our jobs we that's how we support our livelihood so continue to um You know, but we're also saying as you're touching the products to really think outside of just the products, it is much greater, um, greater than that. So I love that. And since you're the senior sales and sustainability manager at the Millennium Group, I would just love to hear like how you incorporate all your different learnings, the advice you're giving to the students at Lehigh University, what you're seeing in the market over the past 15 years and working with international brands. Like how do you take all these pieces of the puzzle to make a picture in your role at Millennium. It's like a collage. <laughs> it's very messy. <laughs> hey, it's still a picture, so right. hey. You know what, honestly, I think that when I got into packaging, it was a box, right? And my world has been that for the last 15 years. Over that time, I've started to expand to other things. And, you know, one of the areas that I really miss grow- from growing up was uh, service. And I've gotten very involved with uh, various different service uh, charities and organizations over the last few years. And um, it's brought me a lot of satisfaction, but it's also just widened my world a bit. And as I've done that, it's just, I think it's making me better at what I do. Um, I think that there were pieces that were missing. Like, I think that I was so single-mindedly focused on this one thing and not realizing as with sustainability that it's a much bigger thing than than just your box you know and being able to understand people and situations and and the world a little bit different i think makes you better at what you do so my journey over the last few years has been trying to you know expand that world and you know become more self-aware and mindful about about what's going on i love that and 
You know, we have to seek to understand from different perspectives, especially around the world. There's so much happening around the world, right? Even just in the U.S., there's so much happening. But globally, it's a lot of stuff happening in present day. So how we do business in other countries to even what sustainability means there. Somebody told me like in Africa, they was like, recycling is a luxury. Like, you know, so to your point, it is really looking and seeing it from a different perspective to see how we can all work collectively, you but, know, to for the greater good. I think it's also keeping it in perspective, you know, like at mm -hmm. you know, growing up, I went to uh, a friend's school, Quaker school that was 80% Jewish. Okay, so uh, my graduating class was 53 people, but those 53 mm -hmm. people did a ton of service, you know, and mm -hmm. I would take I would run coat drives and take coats down to the worst places in Philadelphia and like hand them out, you know, and mm -hmm. it makes you realize when I think about that, because it's something I hadn't thought about in, in a long time, um, that this is a tiny piece of, of the world. And it's, yeah, you know, it's not, it's, there's so many things that are almost more important than this, than um, not that the sustainability part isn't important because we do need to control that, but there's a lot of other suffering and other areas that goes on in this world that definitely need our attention as well, if not more. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like we have so many world matters that we see every single day, every single minute. It's like almost overwhelming, but yet we have to know. And how do we become involved and what that looks like? There are, and there are great organizations out there. There are great mm -hmm. organizations. I, I just recently was in this thing with Paws of War that, you know, takes dogs from war-torn countries and rehabs them and puts them together with vets that are in need. And seeing the effect of this was unbelievable, you know, and mm -hmm. that stirs things, I think, inside of people. And I think that people, it makes yeah. people want to do more and people being exposed to these type of things are, it, it, it can't not you, can't not make you want to care more. You know what I mean? Like, absolutely. Yeah. And it trickles down into this. So, you know, you're doing that. So how do we make the world a better place? And the sustainability side is part of that. That's, you know, mm -hmm. what can we do? Absolutely. Oof. Like that's a whole, look, that could be a whole separate episode in itself. Yeah. Just yep. getting on that. <laughs> Don't get me started here. <laughs> okay. Listen, so I'm right there with you. So last question I'm going to ask you before we get into our power round, Brad, is you are like the king of networking, right? So what book, would you recommend or app? I'll put it that way. What tool? I'll say that. What tool would you recommend for those who are looking to really expand their network? I think the best thing to do is to find the best group. Get into a networking group. I think mm -hmm. Lunch Club is okay. I think the technology is lacking there a bit, but mm -hmm. I have met some interesting people there. I, I've spent a lot of times in groups that or just not good at all. Um, mm -hmm. And about three years ago, I came across a group called The Connective, which has really changed the way that I do business. Um, mm. And it's just, it, it's a lot of trial and error. You know, you gotta try different yeah. things. I've been in yeah. groups where I, like the first five minutes I was in there, I was like, yeah, I gotta go. And then there have been groups where, you know, it took a little longer, um, but there was a benefit to it, you know? And yeah, business came from it but it's also relationships and knowing that I have a few hundred people that I can call on for advice or guidance or just to bounce ideas off of, you know? Yeah. Um, and I guess the biggest thing that I've learned from the networking end of it is it's not who you're talking to. It's who you're talking to knows. 
So people that you may not think could potentially help you, they may know a guy that can help you or a woman that can help you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's always worth the conversation to me. Um, you know, Absolutely. I always say I'll talk to a wall, but, you know, it's really just about putting yourself out there. And the more people that you can talk to, and if you can find a group that has common goals and a diverse group of people, both, you know, mm-hmm. from all aspects, you know, that's where I think you're going to find the most benefit. Absolutely. And I love that. I agree with the networking groups. And one thing I had to do and one book I read that helped me to really go outside of the box and really be intentional about the networking groups. It's a book called The Little Black Book of Connections. And I read that book. I still reference it to this day. And it really helped me to be to repivot of how I really thought about connections and networking. Because at the end of the day, it's a conversation. Yeah. You know, that's how you and I first met was yeah. maybe on LinkedIn or something. We was, yeah. friends, friend to a friend of a friend in the, in the packaging space. And we connected, you know, and we stay connected, you know, on and off over the time. And here we are now, yeah. you know, so that book really changed how I viewed networking and going to the group. So now I'm more intentional about going to the groups because of that one book. So if you don't have that in your toolkit, definitely add it. Um, it is a really good book, quick read, but it's something tangible that I can keep in my purse, my book bag or what have you in reference, you know, um, periodically try to reference it at least once a month, um, just as I'm creating more connections as well. It's, it's a learned skill. Like, I mean, I'm a, mm-hmm. I've always been told I'm a very outgoing person and, you know, I'll talk to anybody, but it's not easy for me either. Like I don't, yeah. I don't love the the cold thing. I mean, once I get past that first thing, I'm gold. But I don't love walking up to strangers and being like, hey, it's not like, you know, even, you know, I've, I've worked yeah. a ton of trade, trade shows and that first like hello when people come to your booth or whatever, it's always like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, um, yeah. but it's you just have to get past that first 15 seconds and then it, it is. becomes yeah. natural you know, so absolutely it's, a skill. it's it's definitely something that needs to be practiced and and um, the more you do do it, the better you get and the more you'll reap from it. Absolutely. And people say all the time, they're like, Megan, you're so bubbly and upbeat. I'm like, oh my gosh, but if you only knew what was going on in personal life, <laughs> you know, so even with that, you know, at first I would take it personal when somebody, it would be like a drag to get like a hello, you know, good afternoon. But now just gaining more wisdom and such, I'm like, I'm giving people grace because everybody's dealing with something, you know, regardless of the magnitude and we're all doing our best. And sometimes being able to say hello may take a lot, you know, just for us to muster up to say hello. So it goes so far. It goes so It does. It does. And, you know, I tell people I'm not upbeat all the time. Some most days I try to be um, most days I am. Um, But some days I'm like, I don't have it in me. Like, right. I don't have it's, it in me. It, so I'm not doing it. I I mean, I don't, I could sit in my room and watch TV for five hours and not talk to a soul, you know, but, exactly. Um, exactly. but when I'm out there doing it, like, you know, you just gotta, yeah. gotta just force yourself to kind of, and the more you do it, the more comfortable it is. It's not it comes easier. second nature. It's, you know, yeah. you are. Absolutely. So I would say for anybody that's listening to this show with me and Brad's conversation, if you need to get outside your comfort zone, come be a guest on the show. Um, It's a great way for you to come meet me in person and also be able to connect with like-minded professionals like Brad and other guests that have been on the podcast as well, because your net worth is based upon your network. Mm 
Okay. So we want to make sure that we're help cultivating and keeping it within, you know, our industry and helping to support you all as well in your endeavors. So definitely appreciate you, Brad, for sharing your insight and input. And as we're wrapping up this bad boy episode, I want to get into our power round. So guys, our power round is a 60 second lightning speed round where we ask our powerhouse guests about some of their favorites. And so this was actually really fun to learn about you, Brad. So I'm going to put 60 seconds on the clock and see how we can keep you on your toes. So you ready? Ready. Let's do it. Okay. So I hear that you are a music buff. So you have attended over a hundred concerts, which would be your top five experiences? Uh, Going backstage at the Allman Brothers at the Beacon in New York, which is my favorite venue of all time. Um, what else? Front row at the Beacon for both the Almonds and the Black Rose. Billy okay. Joel at the Spectrum, the old Spectrum in Philadelphia, which if people know, know that's one of the iconic places. Okay. Um, and any show at the Man Music Center outside of Philadelphia. Oh, okay. Man, top five out of 100. That's gold right there. <laughs> okay. And then one of your favorite bands is Grateful Dead. So how many shows have you attended and what's your top song? I've been to, I believe, around 50, 52. Um, and top song is Franklin's Tower and Scarlet Pagonias. Okay, nice. Okay, we're at, almost at time. So last question. Packaging should be able to fill in the blank. Protect your product and express your brand and story. Mm, I love that one. <laughs> time. So cool, like a hundred concerts and fifty-two shows just with Grateful Dead. You said fifty to fifty-two. It's almost one a year. Yeah, that's God. Like I'm, I'm not that old. <laughs> just to put it, look to get to put into perspective. Right, right. Know, just one a year. But no, that's so cool. And so, um, so Brad, thank you so much for the conversation today and being our featured powerhouse right here on the show. And for people to get in contact with you to network and to learn more about your role at Millennium Group and how you can best support independent brands, share a little bit about how they can get in contact with you. Uh, best way is to reach out on LinkedIn. I am on it all the time. I'm sure we'll post my email address when we're, when you put this out. So Absolutely. Uh, but I, I'll always respond to LinkedIn. So that's one of the best ways to reach me. Awesome. And guys, uh, Brad's information will be down in the show notes for you all. So you can get engaged with him. Make sure you network with him. He is probably one of the top networking people on LinkedIn. You know, so make sure you do connect with him and see how he can best support uh, you in your endeavors to talk about sustainability, of course, packaging and ultimately how we can work, make sure that we're all learning and growing together in our pursuits. And so, guys, we are tuning out for today's episode right here on the Product and Packaging Powerhouse. Make sure you like, follow and subscribe to our channel and share this with three professionals, at least three in your network. I know y'all have at least three. You really can go for five or ten. You know, but we're going to start you slow. So uh, thank you all so much for tuning in for today's episode. And we'll see you on the next one right here on the Product and Packaging Powerhouse. See you on the next one.